Hello and welcome to Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. It's Thursday the 10th of November. In a moment, I'll be chatting with Alex Deacon, talking about two huge storms currently affecting North America and how their presence will send ripples across the jet stream and could ultimately affect the UK's weather into next week. Before that, though, COP27 is in full swing. This year, it's in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, with record number of participants from African nations, as well as the least developed countries and small islands, making this COP possibly the second most attended climate COP in history, with Glasgow last year being the most well attended. Well, we have delegates there from the Met Office, and earlier I spoke to climate scientist Tyrone Dunbar. It is incredibly busy. Uh, there are a lot of, lot of people here, and it kind of feels almost a little bit overwhelming. So it's not just about the climate negotiations. There are also lots of side events where people are talking about uh, science. They're talking about sustainable development goals. They're talking about charitable work. They're just talking about all kinds of things to do with climate change. Tell me why you're there. So I'm out as part of a team of scientists. We've got five or six Met Office scientists out here and we're talking about climate science. So we're talking to our peers and colleagues. We're talking to policymakers. We're talking to people from countries all around the world about the type of science that the Met Office is doing, everything we're doing about climate change. Um, I was actually uh, organising an event earlier today. So one very specific thing I was doing out here was leading the organisation of an event about the co-benefits of climate change. So all of the health benefits, all the benefits to transport and the economy you get from whenever you take action on climate change. We're also here to support the UK's delegation. So the UK has sent out negotiators uh, who are actually in the discussions talking about, you know, how we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, the action we'll take on climate change. And the Mel Office scientists who are out here are providing technical support for those negotiators. So we're helping them with any questions that they might have. So climate science is central to the conversation amongst the events that you're actually uh, working on. And there's some big players there as well. I mean, they had the, the leaders of various nations there earlier, including Al Gore. That's right. So we were actually doing a poster session yesterday. We were presenting some posters on Met Office Science and Al Gore turned up in the background. Now he was doing an interview for a, a TV programme. So sadly, he didn't come over to learn about the, uh, the, the excellent Met Office Science that we were talking about but yes there are, there are climate celebrities everywhere and politicians everywhere so just finally tell me what would you say is the, going to be the best outcome of cop 27 to be if you came back home and saw the headline what would you want the headline to be that's a good question so the big focus of the cop this year is it's all about implementation it's all about taking what was agreed at glasgow the glasgow and um, climate pact and trying to actually make that happen uh, there's also a big focus on ad adaptation because it's a COP in Africa. So there are loads of discussion about adaptation here and finance as well. So a lot of the African countries, developing countries are really pushing um, other countries to, to pay money towards helping them adapt to climate change. So I think what would be a brilliant outcome is if we could really push forward and come up with some concrete plans for how countries are actually going to implement the agreements that we've made to uh, start making the changes that we need to make to reduce emissions so that we can still keep things like the 1.5 degree target in reach. My thanks to Tyrone Dunbar for talking to me live from Sharm el-Sheikh at COP27. So last year was COP26, Glasgow. Alex, we were both there, weren't we? Uh, the weather obviously very different to what they're experiencing in Egypt right now. 
Yeah, I had a great time in Glasgow. First time I've properly kind of been there. Uh, beautiful, beautiful city. My phone's been throwing up memories from, from a year ago, quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. Uh, really interesting time to, to experience a cop, you know, in person, be there for the, the first four weeks to see so many, you know, scientists mixing with, you know, decision makers, policy makers, government officials. It was, uh, it was an incredible experience. feel very lucky to have been there. I was there as well. I couldn't actually get in on the first day. Security wouldn't let me in. So I was just hanging out with everybody outside the venue. And that was an incredible atmosphere as well. Obviously, there were protesters there. But there was a bit of a festival atmosphere as well. People really just coming together from all corners of the country as well as the world. And yes, it was really good to experience. Uh, We do have people heading to COP right now for the discussions next week. And we will be talking to Pete Falloon next week about food systems and climate change. That'd be really interesting. But now let's turn our attention to North America. And it's the first winter storm of the season gripping Canada and the northern side of the US. Now, forecasters are warning of a whole array of extreme weather just across a huge region from whiteout conditions with blizzards to severe thunderstorms. Alex, the latest, it's it's massive, isn't it? And it's at the moment, and we're talking Thursday afternoon here, continuing to develop. Yeah, really intensifying this cold plunge. I mean, it's not that unusual, I guess, to have these huge systems, but it's early in the season, you know, the first of the season, for the first of the season to be so big. I guess that's one of the unusual things. It's going to be a bit of a shock to the system as temperatures, you know, are dropping by 10, 15 degrees in the space of 24 hours. This part of the world, particularly, you know, over parts of the Rockies, it's not that unusual to see those kind of big drops. But yeah, just because it's the first of the season, I think, and it is impacting on so many different levels, you know, We've got blizzards across the north, but further south, you're going to have some very heavy rainfall that could cause some flooding, strong winds in places as well, just exacerbating the snowfall. Uh, and I think by Friday into Saturday, that cold front will extend all the way from the Great Lakes, if not a little further north into Canada, all the way down to Texas. So, yeah, you know, as you say, it, it is a huge, huge weather system bringing a big change, the first proper cold blast of the season. I was looking at temperatures across southern Canada earlier on this week, minus 17 degrees Celsius as a max. I mean, what would we do here in the UK if we saw that as a temperature? We'd all go and hibernate, but it's business as usual. <laughs> yeah, and in November as well, it's not even the coldest, you know, nowhere near the coldest time of year. We, you know, we do a forecast, don't we, for Alberta every day, and that's that's where, where I get off information, just checking that temperature range. And you know, even a couple of weeks ago, it was plus twenty, plus twenty five, even, uh, and now to be minus twenty as a high is just an incredible switch around. So they do get these switches pretty regularly. They're kind of used to it, but it's it's still. You know, always, always a bit shocking to see, and it's particularly for that first cold blast of the season to be so extreme. Uh, temperatures in Alberta, across Western Canada, are picking up a little bit over the weekend behind this cold blast. But like you said, across, you know, the central part of, of the USA, those temperatures are really going to be dropping through today and more particularly during Friday. Yet something else happening, which is equally as interesting, not great for the people who are actually living across the eastern side of the US at the moment, But we do also have ex-Hurricane Nicole moving its way northwards. And now this is quite unusual because it's the end of the hurricane season and we saw a tropical storm sort of track towards the Bahamas where it dumped a lot of rain. And then it 
deepened further into a Category 1 hurricane as it made landfall just south of Vero Beach in Florida early on Thursday. Um, Sustained winds are around 75 miles an hour, according to the National Hurricane Center. But even though, yes, it's not like the last one, which hits Florida in late September, that was Hurricane Ian, which was a Cat 4 verging on Cat 5. CNN are still reporting that 188,000 homes and businesses across Florida are without power through Thursday morning and 1,200 flights have been cancelled. So, yes, the state is in still a recovery sort of mode after that hurricane late September. And now this tropical storm, which was a cat one just for a time, is producing a huge amount of rain and also strong winds across central Florida and it's moving its way northwards. And that's the key thing. So we've got this cold wave pushing down from Canada. And then we've got this ex-tropical storm pushing its way along the eastern seaboard. And at some point, they're going to meet, Alex. Yeah, you're going to get a huge, huge clash. You've got that warmth coming in from the uh, southeast and that cold coming in from the northwest. It really will be a battleground as those two come together. Pointing out, It's worth pointing out, actually, Orlando is going to see a lot of heavy rain during this uh, 24 hours from that system. And Orlando did see a lot of rain, a lot of flooding from, from that system, Ian, as well. So though they're coming in from different directions, you know, it, that central part of Florida, again, seeing torrential rain. But yeah, that, that huge contrast with the warm tropical air coming up from the south, hitting this cold plunge, it really will be... Uh, you know, the battle of the Titans as those two clash and they're going to develop into a really angry looking area of low pressure. Well, obviously won't be a, a tropical system anymore. It'll uh, transition into, you know, a fairly standard low pressure system, but it's still going to have, it's still going to pack a punch because of that contrast, because that's what, that's what drives a lot of our weather. It's the contrast. You know, if you've got cold air hitting warm air, it, it re-energizes the atmosphere and spins it up, turns it into a a rain-making machine as it, as it tracks its way up the eastern side of the US. And it, it's going to move pretty rapidly as well because that's energising the jet stream as well. So it, it, the jet stream is powered by that contrast. So when you get these huge contrasts, cold air coming down from the north, warm air coming up from the south, where they clash, it energises the jet stream. That in turn can generate further circulations and invigorate the low-pressure system itself. So yeah, high-energy systems across the United States generating potentially some really serious weather for the next few days, actually, because that, that system Nicole, will work up the eastern seaboard uh, through the weekend and still be around as we go into Saturday and Sunday. So they're talking impacts right now, transport mostly, obviously large accumulations of snowfall, blocking roads and rail, freezing rain, causing problems on power infrastructure. And obviously exposure to blizzards always poses a risk to life. And we've got that added flash flooding. So there's everything in the mix there. Talking about severe thunderstorms, really just very, very violent weather across initially around a third of the whole of the USA. And then, as you say, becoming more confined to the northeast. But you just talked about the jet stream there, Alex. And this is really interesting because we are not an island, even though we are an island. Our weather obviously happens because of what's happening thousands of miles away. And this is an interesting setup meteorologically because you've got that cold air and that tropical air clashing, which obviously reinvigorates the uh, jet stream. And that means repercussions down the line a few days later. So what do you think it has in terms of um, implications for the UK? 
This is something we talked about uh, on the 10 day trends video, which you can obviously check out on our YouTube channel. It's the one we do every week. We're looking at the trends into next week. And that that is one of the things that's happening in the United States, but it is going to empower and invigorate the jet stream. That's you know why the jet stream gets more active in autumn and winter compared to spring and summer. That's why our weather is more changeable and we see more low pressure systems through this time of year because the jet stream gets invigorated because the Arctic gets colder and the tropics still warm. So you get that bigger contrast. But when you get this huge clashes uh, that we're going to see across the United States, that really can uh, you know take the jet stream up to an extra level. And that's what we're going to see. Now, it looks like it's going to drive its way across more western parts of the Atlantic through the early part of next week. And uh, yeah, the, the peak wind within that core of the jet are really going to uh, liven up and get 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 you know to, to some of the highest levels that we could see uh, through the autumn months. And then that position of the jet stream slightly shifts. It picks up areas of low pressure and it sends them across the Atlantic. We may even get the same low that's then that's no longer Nicole, but won't be by the weekend. But we may well get the remnants of that low pressure coming right across the Atlantic because the jet stream is going to be so active. It could push it right across. And we're certainly looking at low pressure systems coming in throughout the early part of next week, chopping and changing and, and mixing our weather up to turn it much wetter and windier. There is a big caveat at the moment, though, because right now across Europe, there's a big fat area of high pressure and that's a blocking high. And that is stopping the low pressure systems coming in. And that's the big question mark next week as to whether the jet will be empowered enough to actually break down that high pressure system or whether the lows will kind of just grind to a halt, almost building up to the west of the UK. And it's how much impact, how far in they get. That's the big question mark for next week's weather. But it, it's certainly something we'll be keeping a very close eye on. And it, it could be quite an interesting week of weather next week with the potential for this wet and windy weather to come in. But whether it actually makes it all the way across the UK, well, that will depend on just how active the jet stream is and how strong that block is further east. It's funny, isn't it? Well, not funny, really. But every day when you sort of embark on your day of looking at meteorology, the jet stream is probably a go-to, and it's something we blame on lots of different types of weather, but where the jet stream is, you can almost define what's going to happen on ground level, even though it's eight miles in the air. So at the moment, the jet stream is to the north of and the west of the UK, so we're on what we call the warm side of the jet, and that's just sort of pushing up the most incredible warmth. I mean, exceptionally mild. Um which is something which I don't think we've seen at this level for a, a long, long time. Should I just tell you about the records that could be broken over the next few days, Alex? So the jet stream at the moment is, like you say, just kind of stuck pointing towards the northwest of the UK. So it's taking the low pressures up to the northwest, but it's kind of not really moving very far. And it is acting just like a conveyor belt. But it's up to the northwest of the UK. So we're on the warm side. and We're getting these southwesterly winds that are drawing up the warmth practically from the tropics, certainly from beyond Iberia down through through uh, Madeira even. That's where the warmth is coming from. That is why we're seeing these incredibly high temperatures. Not much is shifting at the moment until we get that change next week, which will in some way be initiated by Nicole. But yeah, we, we even call this, don't we, in meteorological terms, a conveyor belt of moisture because the jet stream just isn't moving any very far and it's translating this warmth up from the southwest and of course you know southwesterly winds yeah they're going to bring warmth but they're also going to bring moisture because it's coming in over over the atlantic which means why it's predominantly cloudy but where we've got that weather front that that moisture means rain and heavy and persistent rain across northwest scotland while we've got 
uh, had a yellow warning in place for there as well. So yeah, really interesting weather setup at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I stepped out at half past five this morning to walk my dog and I just couldn't believe the temperature. And I live in the northwest of England where it's cloudy and quite cold a lot of the time. Um, but in fact, some of these records have been around for quite some time. So we're talking November statistics here across the UK. The highest min in November, the highest minimum temperature in November in Northern Ireland currently stands at 13.9 degrees Celsius in Amar. But that was set in 1947. So... It's a good chance we'll see that broken over the next 24 hours. And the highest min in November in Scotland is actually 14.5 degrees, which is balmy. Um, and that was set in Dice, um, which is Aberdeenshire, in 2007. So both of those records possibly could be broken um, through the next 24 hours. So we're talking Thursday here, so into Friday. But on Friday, which is Armistice Day, we do have a separate set of numbers, separate set of statistics just for this day alone. And 17.8 is the warmest armistice day ever recorded in 1977, quite aptly at Kensington Palace. But also Colwyn Bay in Wales saw 17.8 on the 11th of the 11th in 1954, which is actually my daughter's birthday, not 1954, but the 11th of the 11th. <laughs> So it's a good one to remember, good one for the family to remember. I would go say you like old enough to have a daughter born in 1954. <laughs> one thing I think we like to throw around this sort of setup, Alex. Okay, come on. I'm going to use, we're going to go back to sort of, you know, forecasting school here is the fern effect. And we love talking about the fern effect, mm. particularly in this sort mm. of setup where we've got quite a strong yeah. wind and it's moisture laden as well. Yes, it's going to be fascinating to see what those temperatures do over the next uh, two, three, even four or five days because the weekend remains remains incredibly mild. Yeah, we don't normally do records for individual days, do we? But for, for certain you know historic days or significant days in the calendar, like Armistice Day, it's easy to, to pick out those records. So, so we wouldn't say have a, a individual records for the 13th of November, but Armistice Day, obviously, a significant day. So we do have individual day records for that. So yes, some of those day records are... At threat and those nighttime temperatures quite complicated because it's the highest nighttime temperature but it's it's not necessarily nighttime temperature it's the, it's the highest minimum temperature between nine o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock in the morning so there are some nuances around just how we how we make those records but yeah make sure you're following the met office on twitter and then we'll be keeping you updated uh, as to whether we break any of those records over the next few days but yeah the fern effect is where you've got winds coming over a mountain or or hills and as that air comes down the other side it's been modified it's lost some of its moisture because it's formed in clouds or rained over the top and as it comes down the hill the other side uh, air descending um, warms up more rapidly than air rising and so on the other side of the hills the lee side temperatures can often be significantly higher than they are on the uh, windward side side. But yes, yeah, so I'm going yes. back to school. It's been a few years. The Compression. Also, often on yeah. the lee side, it's sunnier as well. You know, you've lost that cloud, so it can be sunny. So there's there's three or four reasons why the temperatures on the lee side of hills and mountains are higher, but they can be significantly higher. And yeah, that is the fern effect uh, or the phone effect, fern effect. Fern effect. Fern. You say fern, I say fern. Um, and so what's your yeah, money on tomorrow then? Um, what's your money on Friday? What's the, what uh, do you think? The high temperature and where? Come on. I think the, so. The Murray Firth is a classic example of where we're going to see that. So that that that, that kind of north facing coast of Scotland, we've got southwesterly winds. Winds going over the over the Cairngorms there, 
and come down the other side and it's significantly warm. We've got a few OBS sites there as well, because that's crucial. You know, we have to have a, a site here that's, uh, that, um, uh, that we, we recognise as, as a given temperature. And there's a few sites there that could easily get up to 17, maybe 18 on Friday. So probably that's the warm spot. Into the weekend, however, I think we may see the highest temperatures in North Wales. The winds shift a little into north, it's not more of a southwesterly, more of a southerly in parts of North Wales to the side of Snowdonia may well see the highest temperatures, possibility of, of 20. So, you know, pushing pushing November records, not just the 11th of November records, possibly. And again, it, but it, again, it really will be those nighttime temperatures that are, that are most noticeable. Colwyn Bay still might just have have another record in November. You never know. Um, well, that's really interesting, Alex. First, another thing, just before um, you can go back to your day job. Uh, I know you love talking to me. I do. I know you do. Um, tell this us is about. My day job. I love. <laughs> tell me about the weather for the weekend because it's really wet currently across the northwest of Scotland, and in fact, up to the first week in November, we've seen a lot of rain across central and eastern areas of England, almost one hundred percent of its monthly average already in some parts of the East Anglia and Southeast. So, yeah, what's happening? Much drier for eastern England. I think we, we're not going to see much rain at all. There might be a bit of drizzle just because it's going to be misty and murky and dank. And that's something we haven't seen much of uh, throughout this autumn, actually. So we've got this really strong southwesterly wind at the moment, that conveyor belt we talked about, bringing that heavy rain in northwest Scotland. We will see subtle changes as we go through the weekend. Uh, the winds will ease a little bit and shift to more of a southerly wind direction, which means with the winds easing, it could turn quite misty and murky because it's the strong winds that are helping helping to keep the, the mist and fog at bay. So slightly lighter winds will allow it to turn a bit misty and murky, something we haven't seen much of. It might be thick enough for a bit of drizzle here and there, but generally looking a lot drier. We will have this weather front across Scotland and Northern Ireland. It pushes south initially, so the northwest does become drier and then pushes back further north during Saturday. But as it does so, it, it will be weakening. So most places, Scotland, Northern Ireland, have a bit of rain Saturday. Otherwise, it's looking like a largely dry weekend. But big question marks about how misty, murky, how much cloud there is in the bottom layer of the atmosphere, which, you know, sometimes the models have, have difficulty with. And that will be the biggest issue this weekend, because where that mist and fog does clear, it you know, if you see some sunshine, OK, the sun's pretty weak at this time of year. But it, because it's so mild, temperatures could really jump up. Add on the fern effects, we could see temperatures in the, in the high teens, perhaps even up to 20 Celsius, somewhere like North Wales. But where it's grey and dank, you know, it, it will be mild technically, but it won't feel all that pleasant. And that's what many people will see. But I guess the good news, you said earlier, is that, that that heavy rain that we've seen of late across eastern England will have eased. Uh, but of course, you know, is that is that really necessarily good news? Because it has been so very dry there recently that that actual rainfall we've seen in November has been quite welcome, helping up topping up topping up river levels. And then into next week, yeah, that that mist and fog could still be around on Monday morning before we look at that shift that we talked about earlier with that jet stream powering in, with potentially some wet and windy stuff coming in from the west. Alex Seacon, you're a diamond. Thank you so much. Just great information <laughs> delivered just so eloquently with so much passion. Uh, always good to have you on the show. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, interesting times. And yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure, Claire. Thanks for having me on. Just before we go, let's head over to Ollie Claydon with last week's highs and lows. Here are your weather extremes for Monday the 31st of October to Sunday the 6th of November. The warmest place last week was Monday, Halloween, with a high of 18.4 Celsius in Cardiff, Wales, 
The lowest temperature was in the early hours of Saturday morning in Aboyne, Aberdeenshire, with a low of minus 3.8 degrees. The wettest place was Kew Gardens, London, where 42.8 millimetres fell on Thursday the 3rd of November. And the highest daily sunshine occurred on Thursday at Aldergrove, County Antrim, and also on Friday at Waddington, Lincolnshire, both receiving eight hours. Thanks, Ollie. That's it for WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir and editor is Adrian Holloway. WeatherSnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office. For the latest weather conditions where you are, download the Met Office weather app.